and welcome to another episode of What's the Chai with your host, Summer Haroon, licensed marital and family therapist. If you are here from last week's episode, you will know that this is a continuation of South Asian women in interracial relationships where we are in conversation with Deepa Patel and Rabia Bauer. So we're continuing on that episode. And without further ado, here it is. I found by happenstance, like so many other women in the same relationship. So I have a couple family members who, you know, married outside the race. I have a, a cousin. She's technically like a third cousin twice removed. I'm not hundred percent sure how we're related, but <laughs> we grew up together and she also married a white guy. So like we joke about that a lot, but you know, even professionally, I connected with another South Asian woman who's also a dietitian. And when we follow each other on social media, I was like, Oh, you also married a white guy. Like you also have kids that are half Indian, half white. So now she's in the group. And like, it's just, I feel like starting the group because I promote it. Like I, I put it on my CV co-founder of Sawir and, and what it is, because like, it is an important space um, that I found so many other women that are like, you know, I never saw anyone like me or, or sometimes I find women who are like, oh yeah, everyone in my family married outside of the race. It, you know, it's really varied, but it, to your point, it's so important to see those happy successful, thriving relationships and marriages for everyone. And one other thing I want to touch on in relation to, you know, if you guys ever have that group, what did it do to your mental health when you didn't have that representation and when you were kind of navigating the, the scary unknown? I'm speaking generally, like if there was a scary unknown for you, I know with Rabia, it was so fast paced. I kind of touched on it earlier. I feel like I've always been the black sheep of my family. You know, I'm the one, I'm the one who's grown up away from my community. Our mosque was an hour and a half away. So we didn't go every week. We only went for big holidays. My closest family members were about two hours away, but it's just been really comforting to find people like Deepa who've had a successful or who have a successful relationship, right. And our other admins and the other friends I've made in the group, what's been so great for me personally is there are women in the group who are further along in their relationship. So they've been married longer than I have. They have kids that are older than mine. And I've loved connecting with them because it's an example for me. You know, I think when we started the group, I very much felt like an example just because I was married with a child. Like I think Deepa, you'd probably agree. Most of our group is probably Mm -hmm. unmarried or if they're married, they're newly married. They don't have kids yet. And that just in any relationship interracial or not adds a whole nother layer to it. Right. But for me, I'm finding women who are further along in their relationship so I can use them as a guide and I can use them as a mentor because they've experienced things about motherhood that I just haven't experienced Mm -hmm. with the additional lens of I'm in an interracial relationship. Yeah, Yeah. I think I have thought about this and I I don't have any children yet, but um, I love the fact that we have moms in this group because in my mind I'm like oh my god as this group matures there's going to be more and more babies and we can have like a mom subgroup of like interracial children like babies because who better to like kind of help you guide your kids in that and like I just I love the fact that we have it because now when I need it I already have this community that's I've brought together in a way and I'm like oh this is amazing and for me like starting this I was I'm a little bit further like I've my husband and I have been together longer than a lot of I would say maybe like at least half of the people in the group and um it was also sort of my reason for starting it is because like I didn't have a role model 
when I was going into this, I didn't have anyone to look up to. The closest I had in my family, I have a cousin who is married to a white guy, but their marriage was semi, not arranged, but encouraged, which was very different. It was a very different situation. Um, she lived in India. She was divorced. She had a child. He was in the U.S. He was a friend of my dad's from work, um, a much younger friend of my dad's from work. Um, and he just kind of got to know the guy. And he's like, hey, I have this niece who lives in India and she's single. And why don't you guys talk and see if you hit it off? And it was sort of it became like a courtship that way. Um, and so I didn't have like a, you know, spontaneous, like normal, like dating story bring a guy into the family sort of um thing to look for um and so for me it was very much being like this group allowed me to kind of help be the example that I never had um growing up and I as I got older I became more confident like I purposely like held my husband's like would hold my husband's hands when we went out in public and like to show that we were actually together like we were not just friends like we were not just walking near each other because I was like if there's any Indian girls around like 10 year old Indian girl Indian 10 year old Deepa would have died if she saw like me right now like she'd be like oh my god exist like so I wanted to be that person for other people just being like by the way hi I'm here like so that's what the group like kind of allowed and for me I forget what your question was originally. no 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 that's totally you totally touched on the question I want to be really honest that I've used your group for my clients and the feedback I've always gotten is the same thing like it's put me at ease when I can see people first of all struggling with the exact same thing I'm struggling with but people who are able to get past the struggle they're like, there's a, there's a different life after the hardship of being able to come out to your parents. It is literally like coming out, right? It is. And it, it, you know, at least in me for the moment, it felt so insurmountable. Like I remember thinking, how the fuck am I going to tell my parents I'm pregnant with a white boy that they don't even know exists? Like it literally felt like my world was coming apart. And I've had other experiences later in life that are so much more traumatic and, and not to hit on that, but it, at that time, it felt like my world was ending mm -hmm. and also fully recognizing like I made all those choices, right? I know exactly what happened for me to end up in that situation, but it still felt like what, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Yeah. That made me deep sigh just thinking about like just thinking about your situation, like that's why I'm like, you are so brave, you are so resilient, and I just admire you so much. Right? I think I appreciate that, Deepa. <laughs> I think I'm just really, um, I was really reckless, and I did some dumb shit when I was young, and you know, you just, I have always taken an approach of of one day after the next. Like you can only, if I just make it to the next 24 hours, that's okay, and just repeat, rinse and repeat that. Wow, yeah. I, I mean, I thought, I really thought walking into my house like that was going to happen. And I remember, I don't remember exactly when my family met my husband, but I know I went home and he was just parked in the car. And I said, just wait, I'm going to come out. And if I don't come out in like an hour, please come in and make sure I'm still alive. Right. Oh my like, gosh. Cause I just, it was the first time. And like my dad had stacked up all like my tax stuff. Cause of course my dad was doing my taxes, even though I was legally adult an adult and been like, here, take it. And like, I don't even know what my mom handed me. And it, it wasn't this, 
it wasn't this, you're not welcome here, but it was like, all right, you're now an adult. Like, here's all your shit. Go be a grown up. Your own taxes. We're done. Right. Like I still don't do my taxes. My husband does it. And that's a whole nother story about how my dad fully taught my younger brother these kind of financial skills. And he was like, you'll have a man to do it for you. And I was 16 and I was like, whatever, I don't want to do my taxes. That's cool. But like the idea that brown girls are not taught a certain set of skills that brown boys are because Mm -hmm. the expectation is that, well, once they're married, their brown husband will just take care of it for them. 100%. Yeah. Like I, like my dad tried to encourage me a bit more with like learning about, um, not necessarily taxes, but just like basic, like life things. But there was always like that expectation of, well, you're going to have a husband. So you don't need to like do these, um, like when they found out I wasn't, didn't want to be a doctor or pharmacist, they're like, okay, fine, but you'll have a husband who will be a doctor or pharmacist. So you'll be taken care of and you can have babies and you can stay home with your babies and like, you know, um, know how to do house things more because you're going to be the one at home being a homemaker. Well, my husband um, is a better stay at home father than I would ever be a stay at home mother. <laughs> because I hate cleaning and being domestic. Um, So it's like, and I think that was one of the things that kind of like was harder for them almost to get over than me being dating outside of my race or my culture. It's the fact that like, I make more money than my husband. And they always assumed that I would be taken care of. And I never wanted that. If I did, I wouldn't be in my life that I have now I like I would have searched for it um but I'm happy with where I am and I'm happy with what I'm doing and I'm happy with my life and to them it's still a little bit of like a they're uncomfortable with it you know what I mean still at this point because it's like the guy is always supposed to be the breadwinner no matter like who you're marrying like that's just a cultural thing it's like they're supposed to take care of you you your job is supposed to be extra yeah like I think you know, my dad was really involved in both my brother and I going for higher education in, in my community. Like it is expected women for women to get a college degree, but then there's no expectation that they'll actually use it. Right. Like you can get a degree in whatever you want, because then next, the next step is to get married and have kids and be a, a homemaker. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but like I chose something I was really interested in at school and I love using that knowledge in a job and getting paid financially mm-hmm. for it. And I was, I did stay home with our daughter for the first year. Cause I really thought that's what I wanted. I, you know, my mom stayed home with my brother and I for a very long time. Most of my older cousins are stay at home moms or they, they work part-time and again, not knocking them, but just like you Deepa, I am not cut out to be a full-time stay at home mom. Like I love my daughter. I'm so grateful. I had that time with her. It is not something I want to do 24 seven. And, you know, my husband and I have the lifestyle we have because we're both bringing in income. And I think part of that is that his mom always worked, right? Just again, for the lifestyle his family wanted, she had to. And I just don't know if had I married a brown guy, would they have been okay with me always working full time and like how much flack I would have gotten from his parents, maybe like, I just, I just don't know, but it very much feels like an equal partnership. Um, between my husband and I and I have to think some of that is due to our cultural upbringings I on it like touching on that like if like marrying I feel like if I had married into an Indian family 
and it depends on the family. This doesn't apply to all of them. This is a generalization for sure. I don't know, like in this past year, I've gone on like a whole kind of like mental health sort of journey um, and kind of coming to terms with different things that I've realized, but like, I was like, oh crap, I've been doing this for a lot longer than I thought I was. Um, and if I had married into a South Asian family, I don't know how that would have been perceived. Like me not being domestic and the reasons behind that and like what kind of prevents me from doing that and the my thought process and different things is I just don't, I think it would have been perceived as me not being good enough. Like, oh, she doesn't do this or she doesn't do that. Or why is she making my husband like cook his own meal or my son cook his own meals? Or, you know, she didn't wash the dishes today. Like, why didn't she do that? And I've gone on this whole thing, like journey of like recognizing signs of depression within myself. And I don't think that would have been perceived in that way in a South Asian family. And it probably would have made it worse. Yeah. To be honest, like I'm already like I'm already dealing with it in not being surrounded by in-laws who are judging me all the time and things like that. So it's adding that element into it. Like, I just think it would this must be hard, really hard, like marrying into all of that expectations and then having your own like mental health issues on top of that. Mm-hmm. And maybe even having because you don't know where they are in the realm of knowing what mental health is and how that can affect you. But Eva, thank you for being so transparent about that. I think that's another thing about representation and being forthcoming about the mental health struggles that we as South Asian women go through, you know, um, the study that was done that within South Asian women, you, they have gone through PTSD and yet they show the least amount of symptomology of the PTSD in traditional sense. Because we're taught to patients will, you know, somehow get you across whatever you need to do. It's going to, you know, move mountains and you just have to have that patience and go through life the way it is and like pray the gay away, pray the depression away. And this um, is, you go for it. You're going to laugh, but I have bought multiple pieces of jewelry from Nominal, which caters towards Muslim women. And why do I have a bracelet that says supper? Like it literally, that is the bracelet. That is the charm. Patient, supper. So you're so right. You're so right. (laughs) And I think that's beautiful, right? Like, yes, there is a component of patience and being patient with yourself rather than assuming that patience will solve everything, you know? And it's not like pray the mental health issues away. It's about acknowledge it, sit with it and be able to provide the supporting environment for you to be able to understand it yourself and heal from where it's coming from. You know, that's like the biggest thing because it's all about the, at least the boomer generation is really struggling with understanding the next generations that have come that are suffering. And, you know, um, and I think earlier, Rabia, you touched on this as well, which is, you know, as South Asian women and being in the States or like being in a Western country, we have also in some ways turned into compulsive liars in order to protect and preserve our independence because our parents can't accept it. And what that does and what that weight does for a person and how it bleeds into their adult life, that toxicity to break that is one of the most difficult things I've found when I'm doing therapy with my clients. Oh, Deepa, you're like, Deepa talked about how she blocked some of her family or restricted, I'm sorry, restricted some of her family on social media. 
I had two. I had two Facebook accounts with my anglicized name and then like my Indian name. And my whole family knew it was a fake account because I never posted on it. And it was only each other that were their friends, right? Like you only saw brown people mm-hmm. on that account. But when I could finally merge the two, like when I was to your point, when I was out, when everyone was like, all right, she's pregnant, she married a white guy, she's having a baby, like merging the two was so liberating because it was like I don't have to Mm -hmm. hide from you anymore and and if you don't like it that's fine that's on you You know if you're going to judge me that harshly that's on you and your soul and your journey and your spirituality it's not on me though not everyone feels that way 100 that's why I'm like preach because it's like no one knows how to live a double life better than a South Asian girl no one because I like and I used to take it out on the girls not not actually, but in my mind, like I would, in my head, I would like be out at the bars or something one night and I would see like, you know, like a really cute, like South Asian girl. And like, it was a really cute, like outfit. And I'm like, I know you would never wear that outfit around your family. And I bet they don't even know that you drink or you go out. And then in my mind, I'd be like, oh, look at her living a double life. But I was like, why am I mad at her and not mad at the culture that forces her to do this? And I caught myself doing that. And I was like, stop. Like, it's not her fault that she has to live this double life. It's she can't be honest with her family like all of her white friends can be. Because if she was, then there is a risk of getting your freedoms taken away. And there is a risk of like losing kind of the small kind of time frame of liberation it feels like you have it's like when you're in college in your early 20s like that's the first time a lot of the girls are out of their house or in like living in dorms or not constantly being supervised like you don't want to lose that so you have to hide pieces of yourself while you go through that and then all of a sudden you find yourself like falling in love with someone and in a relationship and like all this and it's like like how do you go back and be honest when you're so used to not being I like literally in therapy for that right now guys let's be honest like I started therapy for other things and I'm like oh now I have to like tell my parents things like how do I do that so in high school so many of my friends are like you were going to go to college and just go crazy right because your parents were so restrictive and Culturally, I wanted to maintain good grades, but also it was like, if I get into a good enough college, like I can get the hell away from here, right? And I don't even remember what happened, but like the summer between senior year and the start of my freshman year of college, something happened and my parents said, no, you are not going to college. So like the deposit we had on my dorm, I was going to go to the University of Pittsburgh. Like I had a roommate, I had a dorm, all with everything lined up and they were like, no, you're not going. And I enrolled in the local community college and not at all knocking community colleges. But now looking back, like I was clinically depressed and was not offered any support. My parents who, you know, I have also gone to therapy and have recognized they did the best they could with what they were given. But at no point said our daughter needs help. She's clinically depressed because of the situation. And it's funny because the following semester, I did end up going away to college only an hour and a half away and switched majors and said, you know what, I really need to come back and do another semester at community college to catch up because I completely switched majors. And it was such a different experience because I was choosing community college. I made friends, I got a job, I wasn't depressed because I knew it was my choice. So 
it's not like it was community college. It was the situation surrounding me being there. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, then again, I, I went to college an hour and a half away and continued to do dumb shit without my parents noticing or knowing, but it, it is, it's this double life. Like even now, sometimes I'm like, Ooh, do I tell my mom that? Do I mention that? Like, how upset is she going to be? And then I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm an adult. What is, what is she going to do? She's going to be disappointed and then she'll get over it and we'll be okay. To this day, I still find myself like sugarcoating things when I talk to my parents, like trying to ease them into it or like trying to make it sound better than it is or like it was something nice. Like it's, it's weird how conditioned we get and how to talk to our parents. Well, like, I'm, I'm going to totally out my daughter here. Hopefully she won't hate me when she's an adult. She had, <laughs> she had, and if my mom hears this, she's also going to be upset. My daughter had like a little boyfriend in first grade and like, I don't care. It was first grade. He was a very sweet little boy. We talked about it, you know, and, and I feel so good that she trusted me to talk to me about him. Mm-hmm. And she's also very, very close with my mom, even though my mom is in Canada and we're, you know, nine hours away. And she wanted to tell my mom about her boyfriend. And I was like, do I let you do Like, how do I ta- navigate you through this? Because where I was, supportive and and happy and understand that the seven-year-old has a boyfriend. It doesn't mean anything, right? Like they just sat next to each other in the cafeteria. Sometimes I was like, how is my mom going to react to that? And I have found myself for better or for worse summer. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. You're the licensed therapist, but like (laughs) telling my daughter, like maybe let's not tell Nani about that. And when she says why I'm like, Oh my God, how do I explain this in a way that a seven or eight year old is going to understand. And I, I do, I worry about like what damage I'm doing to her and what am I teaching her about what you can tell to me and what you can tell to Nani. Cause I want her to trust her Nani. I want her to have a very loving relationship with my mom and they do, they love each other deeply. Yeah. But about it this way, you're doing a great job as a mom. Like you're being such an effort <laughs> in your like Facebook page, uh, like the Facebook page and on the Instagram, everything. And I think that's so much pressure to put on yourself know that kids are so intuitive, right? She picks up on what's appropriate to tell Nani. Similarly, what's appropriate to do in front of your teacher? You know, what's appropriate to do when you're out grocery shopping? So in that sort of situation, you understand that different relationships have appropriate and different boundaries. And this is where your morality and values are going to speak. Is omission considered lying? But is that a South Asian trait that we have, right? Like is omission lying? because we're not straight up lying or just phrasing it like, you know, we have boundaries. We have boundaries as how much, how much we tell, you know, these things to our friends, how much we share with our parents, how much we share with our teachers. It's all about boundaries and what's the health of the relationship. So when you reframe it like that, it doesn't make it seem as, you know, your grandmother can't handle this information and we have to be secretive. It's more like, you know, this is just a boundary of the relationship where, you know, I might be able to, you know, go and do X, Y, and Z with you and go to like, you know, certain activities, but your grandma might have some sort of limitations and it's okay because she comes from this culture and it's just a part of respect. It's not deceptiveness. And I think what's ingrained in us is the deceptive, the deceit is the emission. And then it's part of our, that's where the guilt shame comes in that has to really, like I said, like you have to dismantle it because it's so ingrained because you know, it's not a boundary. You know, you weren't taught like that. You knew exactly what you were doing. You knew your parents would be pissed at you. 
versus when you reframe it, put health in it, that's where the power comes in. And Rabbi, to your point as well, when you talked about you being clinically depressed, your choices were taken from you. You were not an autonomous person in that moment. And as soon as you got your choice back, you were empowered. You're like, I want to change my major. I want to go back to community college. And as women, so many choices, I don't want to say get taken away from us, but they're hidden from us. We always have choices, but we're always shown that we don't because those other choices are hidden from us. We can say no to people, but then there's guilt. Like, how can I say no to my parents? How can I break their trust? And I made an Instagram post on this. You can never break trust that you have never been given. They don't trust you from the get-go. So how are you breaking trust ultimately? Thank you. Thank you for the snaps, Viva. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that but is I a beautiful, beautiful way. You know, we get that a lot, like in the group is always like, well, how do I do this? Like, how do I, you know, I feel like we take on a lot of guilt and we take on like, a lot of responsibility that is not ours to take on especially when they're trying like it's like oh I you know I'm gonna break up with my partner because you know I don't want to do this to my parents or I don't want to lie to them and this and that and it's like you there, there's a reason you started not telling them the truth in the first place and it most definitely wasn't when you started dating this person um it was probably before. And it's, you're right. Like, you know that your parents didn't trust you enough to be an adult in this relationship. And if they had found out about it, been like, okay, you're an adult, make adult choices. It, your choices would have been taken away from you. And you didn't want that to happen. So you turn into like this person who doesn't tell full truth or you know, and then you end up feeling guilty about it when really it's not, it's not your guilt or anything to take on. It's a situation that you've been put into by not being given like the opportunity to make mistakes or being given the opportunity to um, be a fully trusted adult. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so on point for like what you guys were saying earlier on I think one of the main things before we go to the questions that were posed on the group is that I think a central theme we see in most posts are how do I tell my parents what do I do if I'm threatened to be disowned and like is this relationship worth it I feel like in snippets we covered it but I do want like if you could send a message out to the girls especially when this is such a common question right that that comes up when they want to know what to do and just need guidance and are desperate for that validation that comes with, you know, having your parents support your relationship. I think mm -hmm. one thing we see over and over in the answers, um, A, if you're able to make sure you're financially independent, right? That you're not dependent on your parents. And like, I feel dramatic saying this, but like have an escape plan, like know where you're going to go and what, how you're going to survive. If your parents say you can't live here anymore. Um, so when I was in college, I was dating a black man and my parents found out and disowned me, like cut me off financially, like took my credit cards, whatever. Oh, and I had to call him and be like, come pick me up. I'm going back to the college dorm. Like it, it, for at least this semester that's paid for. Right. And again, super traumatic. I think I went about two weeks without talking to my parents. And I, I, I think they were really surprised. I lasted that long, but I was thinking like, how do I get financial aid? How do I continue to stay in the dorm? How do I continue to finish my education? Knowing I had 
like a crap income working at like the Smoothie King. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't an income that was going to make, allow me to pay for college. Um, and I think it was that two week period where they were like, wow, she was serious about this. And I didn't end up um, with that boyfriend for a lot of reasons, but just again, having some financial independence, I think as South Asian women and South Asian daughters were taught to be entirely dependent on our parents and on our family. So having that financial independence is key. Having um, a place to go, whether it's a friend's house or back to your dorm, like having a safe place to go if you need that physical distance. And I mean, I hope, I think you have to just be prepared for, well, what if my parents disown me? What does that mean for me? If you haven't thought that through, like you need to think that through. And in terms of like, is this relationship worth it? Deepa and I have talked about this. We don't let people into the group who say they're considering an interracial relationship. Like we either want you to be in it or not. Either decision is fine, Mm -hmm. but our group is not here to tell you whether your relationship is worth it or not. Like only you can make that decision. And I know for me, when my younger brother was meeting my now husband, he was like, well, how do you know, how do you know he's the right one for you? And I was like, he puts up with my bullshit. And like, he does, my husband <laughs> puts up with my bullshit. And, and of all the, you know, the other men I had dated before my husband, which hopefully my mom doesn't listen to this part, but like, we just weren't a good match for each other's bullshit. Like it was just very, a lot of yelling and a lot of fighting. And there's just personality traits in my husband that, that works well for us. And I knew that once we started dating, like, I was like, we're not playing any games. Like, I know when he says something, he absolutely means it. I don't feel like I have to lie to him ever. And I never have. So, and that has nothing to do with his race. That has everything to do with him and his personality and how we connected. Right. So nobody can tell you if that relationship is worth it or not. And I know it's so cliche, but I think you will actually know if you're with the right person um, just because you're with them. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's my advice for like relationships overall. If you're questioning it, like your relationship should not, like just the two of you, I'm not talking about anybody else around. It should not cause you anxiety or drama and you should never question whether this person is with you or not. That is my, that was a big thing with my husband. Even though he was the only guy I've ever dated, I had seen enough friends go through relationships to know what I wanted. And I knew that he didn't make me question myself. He didn't make me question our relationship. Um, He was honest with me and I never, like, we never lied to each other. Um, about anything that was going on in our lives. And we were, we communicated, we made an effort to always communicate. And I never was like, oh, we had an argument and I don't know if we're dating. Like that should never be your relationship. Like that's not a stable relationship if you are questioning whether you're together or not. Um, And then outside of that, like of, is your relationship worth it? Like Rabia said, like no one can tell you whether your relationship is worth it except you it's really are you willing what level are you willing to go to um for your relationship I like I mentioned earlier like I knew I was willing to lose my parents if that's what they felt they needed to do just not because specifically the person I was with just because in like just myself like my moral code was if 
you can't accept me as who I am as your daughter, then you can't accept me and I will leave. Like, and you will have to accept that. Um, so I, I put the ball in their court sort of thing. And I feel like a lot of girls have this mentality in our, in our group and just in South Asian girls in general, like we touched on, that they don't have control over their life and that all the control sits with their parents. And I think that really it's like calling your parents on their bullshit. Like, are they really going? And some of some will, because we've seen it and you have to be prepared, like we said, but some, a lot of times, like they might just be shitting you. They might not talk to you for two weeks and then be like, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, it, they might not even get to that level. Um, or, you know, it might be a couple of years or whatever, um, or you may lose them entirely, but you just have to be willing to risk. Like, what are you, you have to find out what you're, sorry, what you're willing to risk. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really my take on it is like, you have more control over your life than it feels like. And you, it, you have to move from asking permission to saying what you want. Yeah, um, absolutely. I 100% yeah. agree with that one. No, absolutely. Should we pull up the questions yeah. from the group? I think we have like four that we have listed. Sure. Some of them, Deepa and I were like, we, we can't answer these. Mm -hmm. This is about yeah. South Asian parents and South Asian culture, and we can only share our own personal experiences, but we can't speak for why parents are the way they are sometimes. I mean, I wish I could. And I think a lot of the questions in the group do just stem around like how to handle your parents when it comes to your relationship normally, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, Hey, how do I handle, you know, anxiety and talking to my parents? And I think, um, that, that's an, uh, that's another whole podcast episode we can do. But yeah. <laughs> I'll bring you guys on for that too. This can be a few. Oh yeah. I think, and I also like, I agree with, um, you know, like, I don't know why parents are so quick to cut off their children in any sort of relationship, but I think it, in my opinion, it stems from the being unfamiliar and being scared. And that's, you know, why I hope that we can be a beacon of like hope and familiarity for parents. And that's why I advocated for a public aspect of our platform, because like, you know, you're afraid of the unknown and you're afraid of what everyone else will think if you accept the unknown. And that that's why I think it happens. Um, I don't agree with it, but I feel like it's just, especially in like Western countries, like they've already moved you away from so much and they've put you in this new place that you are hundred percent comfortable with, but they are not. And then all of a sudden you're adding a new level of uncomfortableness for them and unfamiliarity for them. And then it's just like, they shut down. Oh, and a hundred percent. That's how I feel. You're, and you're right. And it's, it's a, so when you're scared and it's a loss of control, right? I can't mm -hmm. control my child. This is different from how I was raised when parents were the authority and they were like our, they were like our everything. You don't question your parents because their life experience exceeds everything you know. That's when, when this question, especially when I post to both of you regarding like, you know, how do I approach my parents and parents normally say, you know, we know what's best for your happiness while being in toxic, unhappy relationships themselves. It's, mm -hmm. 
it's not about knowledge. It's not about happiness. It's about authority and preservation. And it's really scary for them to lose that control. And it's like, okay, I'm losing control. I'm going to threaten to disown you to like reel you back into what we know is safe and secure because I can't protect you from the things out there. And another thing, if I don't know, you guys have noticed it is like South Asian parents don't have coping skills. And I'll give you a really good example is that this, this I hear so often is like, oh my God, I'm, I gave my dad a heart attack. I, I, oh my God, my mom passed out. And it's like, dude, we we're all about, you know, we have all these people, some of us like, you know, hold on to religion and we're so, we're portrayed so weakly that we give you some kind of news and you're, you don't have the mental capacity to even process that, like your body gives out. And then that's, that's another thing where so many times it's like, oh no, my dad ended up in a hospital and it was a panic attack. They had a panic attack basically, which they confused for a heart attack. And that sticks with the girls. And it's like, I don't want to put my parents through this, but it just speaks to a lack of coping skills and being able to self-regulate and emotionally be present in a way to take in any information and not have it overwhelm and shut your system down. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I wish like every South Asian parent, or really all parents, like just go to therapy, please. Like, good luck with that one. <laughs> trying to get trying to get any parent to go to therapy, I'm sure, is very hard. Like outside of like the millennial generation, probably. Um, but just they all need it. Like they're just collectively. And some people, I've rem- this makes me think of some people have asked if we have like a parent, like a group for parents. And I'm like, I think that would be a dumpster fire because they would just all collectively agree that things are bad. And how do we get our kids out of the situation? I would genuinely be afraid of that's what would happen in a group like that because they just would feed off of each other in that way. And like, I might be thinking negatively, but that's just, I think it would be terrible. (laughs) No, I think that's such a good point. And, you know, Summer, one thing Deepa and I don't talk about often, like it is a lot of work to moderate our group. This is totally going on a tangent, but, you know, our admin group talks a lot about how the women in our group are in different paths and different parts of their anti-racist journey. And we talk a lot about how our admin group, the majority of us are in relationships with straight white men. And like, there have been women in the group who make comments and we're like, you you cannot say that. Like, so there's people that are just rude. They exist everywhere, right? Regardless of race, religion, culture, but there's people, women in our group who say things that were like, are you not, you're clearly not even aware of your own internalized misogyny or racism or, you know, whatever. And if we had a parent group, I don't even know how we would find the parents to moderate it appropriately like my mom has come such a long way and and Deepa obviously so have your parents right they love your husband my parents love my husband my mom couldn't even I mean she's not on Facebook but like she couldn't even moderate a group like that and and you know Deepa I hold you and I up as like success stories like we're married we're doing well we're happy right our parents have come around eventually so this idea yeah just feeding off of each other and I feel like part of the group would turn into, well, what can I say to my daughter to, to guilt trip her or to force mm-hmm. her to comply, right? Because my entire life, my mom guilt tripped me that if you do this, all this will happen to me. Or, you know, she used to say, I was the perfect Indian daughter. Why are you the way you are? 
And as I got older and sassier, I was like, mom, it's great that you were the perfect Indian daughter, but your life did not turn out perfect or anywhere near it. So why would I want to be like that? Like, I don't want your life. You've struggled a lot. Um, but yeah, just this, this guilt tripping, like if you do this, this is going to happen to me. And, and why do we do that? Like, why is that in our culture? Why does that happen? I don't have the answers, but I don't either. I'm sure someone wants to know because it ha- it comes up a lot mm-hmm. in the group and I wish like it breaks my heart. Like I've talked about this in our admin chat is like, it breaks my heart sometimes being an admin of this group. Like I genuinely cry sometimes because it's so disappointing to me how common some of these like horrible reactions from parents are. And I get so upset by it. And I didn't know, I was so naive going into this. Cause I was like, oh, my parents accepted us eventually, you know, like it wasn't great in the beginning, but like, it's all fine. And I was so, so naive going into this. And I didn't fully understand like the things that some people go through in their relationship because mine worked out well. And this group really, really opened my eyes to it. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard reading all of the stories, all of the reactions. Like it gets to you because it's just like, I wish I could just shake some of these parents and be like, you are ruining your kid's life by acting like this. Like you are literally damaging them by acting like this. And I have not that you have to be a parent or a mother to have that kind of empathy, but like I read like when we've got the anonymous post or like, you know, just women posting in the group, I'm like, Oh my God, as a parent, how, like, how can your parent do this to you? And and what deeply rooted beliefs do they have that they think they're actually helping you? And I just want to be clear, like, it's not just the South Asian community, right? I think about parents who don't accept their children that are LGBTQ, like, right? That's, it's the same thing. Like whatever belief is so out, it is literally coming out with my relationship, coming out with my authenticity and the honesty. And I think we really did generally cover the topics that were like, asked technically in the group in the questions but you're 100 percent right because these parents just want control and when you talk about these parallels I think that was the motivation for the podcast was like I wish my clients could sit here and tell you these stories to know how toxic some of the behavioral patterns that parents perpetuate are you know the guilt tripping the shaming the disowning the threats to disowning I have one who even threats to deport like I've heard that like like 10 different clients were like, oh yeah, my parents were like, if I don't like do this or like get my grades up, they're going to deport me. And I'm like, are you for real? They don't have the authority to do that. I mean, there was, but, but know that. <laughs> there is, um, I'm, you, we mentioned this in a very long time ago. I love to read young adult literature, especially South Asian young adult re- literature. And there's a whole book. I believe it's called the love and lies of Roxana Ali. I, I want to look up the title. But it is exactly that situation that the character is uh, a lesbian and her parents get a sense of her relationship and she's shipped off to Bangladesh and then like forced into a relate. Like it's real. It's it's a great book. Like the, the story itself is wonderful. Yeah. And it's written so well. Um, but like I understand why women in our community fear that because there's literally been books written about it. Like it's such a recurring theme or recurring threat mm-hmm. that an author has written a book about it. I'm going to look it up right now, but you Absolutely. two keep talking. And another threat that I've noticed is like, so 
I love that you guys have these amazing supportive brothers who are in your lives in a way, you know, in, in a sense, but they're not the kind of brothers that are holding you up at gunpoint. Because I've also yeah. heard those horrible stories when, and this isn't even with interracial relationships. This is with like relationships in general and preserving honor in the family where they go and they just, they don't even go to the guy who you're, the girl might be in a relationship with. They'll go to the girl and be like, you're dishonoring us. And you think you can go around being a little like slut and a whore. And these things, I swear to you, it's not even my clients. This I've seen across like all the Facebook groups that I'm a part of that, you know, I wanted to provide some sort of help and support and reading it is so traumatizing. It's like, I just said these things and my brother came at me. My uncle came at me. My dad was like, you little slut, you little whore having like a boyfriend or being interested. Like you're going to do this and that and put our family's name to shame. Like these things are happening still. And it instills fear in us to be able to just simply live and be happy. Like happiness sounds like such a difficult decision. Like if you rather just be miserable and keep the peace in the family rather than trying to strive and understand what happiness means for you because it at times even puts a risk to your safety. And I think I wanted to bring this in earlier when you were talking about, you know, how to tell your parents, gauge if you're safe or not to be able to tell them because it is like coming out. And if they can't tolerate it and your safety becomes a concern that's beyond them just kicking you out, don't. And right. I think this is the same thing with LGBTQ, like the community. This is the exact conversation that they're having. And it's insane to me. And it's, it's just so sad that anyone has to have these types of conversations. Like if parents universally would just learn to like accept their children like, and I know that sounds like such an easy sentence to say, but it's just honestly, if you put the love of your child above all of the other bullshit that the world is telling you to do and to be, and you just center your child first and like the love of your child first, like so many of these other things wouldn't be an issue. If you really thought about it, like it's not an issue but you're making it an issue because you're just worried about the rest of the world and all of the other things that you've been conditioned to worry about. And it sounds very easy putting it that way, but that's really what it boils down to is you're too concerned about everything else going on in the world and perception and everything. And it's like, if these kids could just tell their parents, like, this is where I'm at. This is what's happening in my life. And they're like, okay, again, we trust you. It has to be trust. And be like, we are here to support you. Live your life. Like, just live your life. Like, like they do with a lot of the, a lot of sons. Like, it's literally like, okay, live your life. We might give you some advice and some guidance and our opinion a bit, but it's like, live your life. It's not the whole, like, it's well, the isn't there in the same level and it's 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 just so frustrating it's like just love your kids like that's all you have to do is just care about your kids enough to let them live their life and know well, that so like, many so many parents look at their children as extensions of themselves like this is not unique to south asian culture and like listen i love that my daughter still wants to be a twin and wants to be an extension of me. But I also recognize that at some point, my job as a parent is to raise her to be an independent whole human being separate from me. 
right? And I don't think a lot of parents accept that. And I know I had mentioned it really briefly, but like when I went to therapy for my issues, you know, the therapist was like, your parents are going to choose what's more important, your identity and your life as it is, or their reputation in the community. And only they can make that decision. There's nothing you can do to influence that decision. And my parents made two totally separate decisions. So yeah, just teaching, you know, how do we shift the culture? And again, not just South Asian culture, but how do we shift the culture that your children are entities in and in and of themselves and that's okay. And that that's the goal, right? Isn't the goal to raise independent humans? Absolutely. And understanding that happiness for different people looks differently. And I think that's an overarching theme too, where it's like this projection that this is what we're taught will make us happy. This will make you happy too. You have to give it a chance rather than being like, you might like peaches and I might like oranges and it's okay. It doesn't negate the fact that oranges can be awesome too, but it's just not for me. And I think that is so hard of a concept to grasp. And, you know, I always say this to a lot of the clients that I work with. It's that, you know, this is supposed to make me happy. And, you know, when I get that job, I'll be happy. When this happens, I'll be happy. And I'm like, okay, we'll wait for that to happen. But tell me in the moment, what does make you happy? Like sit back and understand it yourself rather than giving me an ideology and a dogma that your parents fed you, that your culture fed you, you know, that your religion fed you. Maybe just for one second, be that individualistic person and maybe for lack of a better term, be completely selfish and hone into what, what makes you happy so that you can tell other people as well. And I feel like that's where the starts, you know, being confident in your own decision and whatnot. Yeah. And so much, like, again, it's not just South Asian culture. It's even culture over here. Like this is again, a total tangent, but when I used to do nutrition counseling, so many people would say, well, when I lose weight, I'll be happy. When I lose weight, I'll fall in love. When I lose weight, I'll get that promotion and not discounting, you know, the effects of systemic fat phobia, but like, you don't have to have a certain body shape or size to be happy or to fall in love or be successful at your job. But we put these false parameters on when we can be happy, that something A has to happen for B, us to be happy, but in certain situations, you can choose happiness right where you are, right the way you are. I, yeah, I fully, and I think that like, that applies so much to like the parents that we see is like, I think they are choosing to be unhappy in the situation that they are presented and they could just choose the other they could just make the other choice they could just choose to be happy and it would eliminate so much stress and drama in their own lives mm-hmm. but it's just like it's so hard for them to make that choice because they've been told or conditioned to like believe that you know you have to meet these certain standards to be happy and it's that's all around like just for everyone and it's it's sad can we just like cancel society if we're canceling <laughs> things? <Absolutely>. just like, <laughs> cancel societal expectations but it would also take away some of the beauty that comes with it and I think it is it in these sort of podcasts that I do I know that portion of the cultures come out and I do appreciate Deepa you and Rabia talking about you know it's not just South Asian cultures this happens in like very major you know 
Western Americanized Christian households where, you know, you can't do this or you're this and you can't marry like there, I, there's so many people who still can't like date black people or like marry black people because it's like considered like, what are you doing? You know? And it's like, we're not racist, but it's more along the lines of no, you know? So it's just, it's highlighting the importance of having dialogue, having representation, showing people different versions of different lives that leads to fulfillment that isn't traditional. And I feel like I, I genuinely, truly feel so honored that you guys came on this podcast to be able to give another lens and, you know, dive deeper into your stories because this impact will be lasting because they'll be able to go and revisit it and be like, hey, these women, these women made such hard decisions in their lives. They stood up for what they thought that was right and it served them in that moment and they trusted it, you know? And I think that speaks volumes and I really appreciate you guys taking the time out, all the two and a half to almost three hours that we've been doing this. <laughs> it was fun. I can, yeah, I'm good. I didn't, it didn't feel like two hours. I can clearly talk forever apparently, so. I love it. I love it. And I feel like there is a lot more things that we need to cover in another episode for sure. But any closing thoughts you guys might have? I think the biggest one is like, you know, no one but you can determine if your relationship is worth it. And you will, you, you will really know if it is worth it. And this idea that sometimes you can choose your family, right? Like there's your blood related family, obviously, but it is okay to choose who is going to be in your family and who is not regardless of their biological connect connection to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think mine would just be, you have more agency than you've been told you have. And it's okay to use it and you're not selfish in having wants and needs and putting yourself and your goals and what you want in your life first, mm -hmm. honestly. That's awesome. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have you back sometime soon. Sure. We, we can Definitely. talk about all sorts of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in this week on the What's the Tribe podcast to listen to part two of South Asian women in interracial relationships. This was super fun to record. Please make sure to check out all the descriptions in the bio of this episode that link to all of Deepa and Rubio's social media platforms. Make sure to follow What's the Chai on Instagram at What's the Chai Official. If you're listening to um, this on any major streaming or podcast platform, make sure to rate, subscribe, and leave us a comment. Always looking for some feedback from you guys as to what you, uh, you would like to listen to next. If there are specific um, people within the South Asian community you want me to bring on onto this podcast, let us know and we will try to make it happen for you. But until next week, I will see you soon and always make sure to have a steaming cup of chai. <laughs> Take care. Bye.